Good day, my friends. This is Under Review, the tennis podcast from an insider's perspective. I'm Craig Shapiro, and on the show, I talk with the most interesting voices in the sport. We have got a great show for you today. As the clay season slides past, we find ourselves at its crescendo, right in the midst of the French Open. And we could think of no more fitting way to commemorate that than our first French guest, a guy who grew up on clay and has helped countless players conquer this surface and more. Since the late 90s, Patrick Mortaglou has been instrumental in developing players like Paul-Henri Mathieu, Sergei Stokowski, Laura Robson, Marcos Bagdadis, and Gregor Dimitrov, to name a few. His academy is considered amongst the best in Europe, and it's a destination for top-caliber pros, as well as tennis lovers from all walks of life. It's a refuge for the pros, a place to both decompress and bone up, particularly during the clay court swing. Aside from running his academy and moonlighting as a commentator, Patrick is developing the games of rising stars like Coco Goff, Jason Sang, Alexi Popperin, and the sport's hottest star, Stefano Tsitsipas. Ah, and I suppose we should probably mention that since Wimbledon 2012, he's been the exclusive coach of Serena Williams. Patrick is going to tell us why he insists on working contract-free, which Frenchman he thinks has the best chance of winning the French, and what he thinks might be behind some of the latest coaching shakeups on the women's tour. We're talking Serena, Sitsipas, and helicopter rides with Rastafarians with the coach. We met up with Patrick at his academy a couple weeks ago while I was producing a segment on him for Tennis Channel. We're here in Bio. Biot. Biot, not Bio. Biot. 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 This is Biot. We're in the south of France. Mm-hmm. This is uh, the in Côte d'Azur. French Riviera. This is the Côte d'Azur. Côte d'Azur in French, yes. Côte d'Azur. Yeah. And uh, we're in the back of the Beachcomber Hotel, which is part of the Mortaglou Resort. Resort. Absolutely. The Mortaglou Academy is next door, but it's all part of the same thing. Exactly. It's a big resort including, of course, a tennis academy, a country club, a hotel, and a lot of other things around. My man, it's great that we're doing this. First of all, we were the first Tennis Channel crew to ever come to the academy, which I couldn't believe, actually. Why? Well, because I, I, I think that, that somebody should have been here sometime over the last six years. Um, but I'm glad we're glad yeah, to be. You know, American people, it's tough for them to leave the country. Well, the country maybe. is so big. There are so <laughs> many things to see already in the country. Well, let me, by the way, let me tell you, if, if you love tennis the way we do and the way our listeners do, you need to be here. This is incredible. I mean, the hotel is full of pro players' rackets. The tennis academy is high energy. The pool. The pool is a tennis racket. I mean, you can't <laughs> do anything. I mean, it's incredible. And the gentleman you're hearing is none other than Patrick Mortaglou. Yeah, I like how you say my name. First of all, thank you so much for being so gracious and having us here. Uh, your team has been unbelievable. Um, we do a five-set format, and our first set, we call this the off-the-court report. Tell me about your year so far. Uh, you, know, you just finished up uh, Indian Wells in Miami. Yes. Why don't you tell me what your impressions of the tournaments were and, and your players? So... For Serena, it was, it was a difficult time because she, she got injured. So she couldn't, she couldn't play the way she, she wanted to play. And what's the significance of the injury? She had a knee injury. 
And after her first round in Miami, she had to pull out, uh, not being able to play a second match. So it was a bit uh, much shorter than expected. But listen, man, I introduced myself to you in, in Indian Wells. Not that many people know much about you, they, but they say, man, he works extremely hard. And I saw you, you were bouncing from court to court, on the move, very present. You were there with Sitsipas when I saw you. Um, what are you doing at these tournaments? Sometimes your players may lose, but you're still there. Yeah, um, I'm lucky to have several players from my academy who are competing in those tournaments. So, yeah, of course, my main, my main player and the one I'm focused on uh, is Serena. Uh, she's the one I'm coaching. But also, I created something that I called Team Rataglu with, a, with a, a selected number of players, not many but players that I believe have the potential to win a Grand Slam in the future. It's young, upcoming players, all, all of them are. Uh, the older one is Tsitsipas, he's 20 years old and top 10 now, uh, but we're working for, together for now for a few years. Um, then one year younger, Popperin, 19 years old, reached the third round of the Australian Open, lost in five sets to Luca Puy. Then one year younger, uh, young, uh, a young uh, German player whose name is Molecker, who qualified at the Australian Open, main draw, and she, he was the youngest of the main draw. Then one year younger, um, Jason Tseng, or two years younger, I, mean, I think two years younger is, is uh, oh no, one year younger, sorry, 17, Jason Tseng. He won uh, two Grand Slams and, and become world champion in juniors last year, and is now 400 in the world in the pros. And then I have Coco Golf, an American player, who's 15 now, and. Uh, and uh, I think she has a huge potential. She won also a Grand Slam in juniors. And so Coco Golf is practicing here? Yeah, not full-time. She's uh, also uh, in Florida because that's where she lives, that's where she has school, that's where she's been living all her life, and she, she's still young and yep. she needs her family around. But she's coming very often here. That's her base uh, in Europe, and, uh, and we're working together now for a few years. I discovered her when she was 10. She came here when she was 10. She wanted to be part of the program, and uh, and uh, we decided to work, start working together. Um, what does she bring to the table that you like? A lot of things. Uh, first of all, she has, I mean, she has qualities that you can't uh, that are mo the most difficult to develop. Great competitor, great physical abilities. She's an incredible athlete, and I think she's uh, she's ambitious and a hard worker. So if you combine those three things, I think it's quite much to bring to the table. What about her size? Is she still growing? I think she's still growing, yeah. You she's do. tall already, and uh, she, I mean, the, 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 her father is very tall, mm. uh, so, and, and she shows, a f I mean, she, she starts to, to really, really uh, grow, and, uh, and I think it's not finished, so she's gonna be a great athlete. You also had, you know, we see, we follow the academy, and we follow you on social media. We saw that you had a, a challenger here, Absolutely. Um, and uh, the, the dreadlock Rasta German Dustin Brown won that event. Um, are you, were you, was that a good event? Do you, was that a nice week for you? That was unbelievable. It was unbelievable because we had, the, I mean, the stadium was full. There was, so the people came to watch, and that's the most important. Um, all the sponsors were very happy with the event, which is very important too. And we had a great tournament and a great final with a lot of great matches. And we are so lucky to have uh, 
uh, Dustin Brown win. I mean, this guy is so amazing. He's so different. He's so exciting to watch. Everybody I mean, was excited. Yeah, I mean, Dustin Brown is a human highlight machine, huh? And he's a cool guy. So cool. And he was so happy to win. It was, he put so much emotion on the table when he won. That was amazing. And then after we took the helicopter together and he discovered, I made him discover the region with the helicopter, which was a, a, a deal we, was, we were having with the sponsor. The helicopter company was a sponsor. And it was his first time in his life he was in a, in a helicopter. He was so excited. I mean, Patrick Mortago, cool. the Mortago Academy is just keeping it really moving. Also, um, you know, you disclose that you are uh, going to be a father for the fifth time. Absolutely. <laughs> what do you want to know? That's, um, that, yeah. That's like, well, this is our off-the-court report, so that's definitely off-the-court. Exactly, that's off-the-court. So do we, do we have to talk about that? Well, are you, I mean, are, you, uh, are you excited? Are you... Of course I'm excited. Um, I love, I mean, I love kids. I love big families. Uh, I have a fantastic wife, so... I can't be happier with that. I mean, that's the, yeah, that's the best news. And um, how will that? How will a newborn uh, impact life? You know, I have a two two and a half years old daughter already, so it's not going to be a big change. We're uh, we used to have a little daughter. We're going to have a second one. I mean, a fifth one, but a second really small one. My older one is twenty five years old. So, um, so no, it's not going to impact. I think. No. And you told me that you know you uh, have uh, fluid and pleasant relationships, um, and you seem to be at like a very nice place in your life. Um, do you have any interesting advice for the rest of us? No, I, I don't have any advice to give. I mean, I think when you're honest with people and you give your best, things go right. Not everything goes right all the time, but everything ends right. That's what I think. This is our second set of our show. We call it the On the Court Report. In pro tennis right now, I'm curious to know what your impressions are leading into Roland Garros. You can start with the women. It seems like it's wide open to me. It's been a long time that it hasn't been like the way it is now. You know, there, we had a lot of dominant players those last uh, 10, 20 years. Uh, Serena, of course, uh, during the last five years, uh, seven years, uh, even though then the last two years were different because she had a baby and uh, a lot of things happened, but she's been very dominant. Uh, the Williams sisters before that, both of them, uh, and before others. And at the moment, uh, we can say we could say in a way that uh, Naomi Osaka is dominant because she won the last two Grand Slams, which is something big. But she hasn't been that uh, regular. Like, you know, if you look at all the last 25 uh, tournaments, all, it has been like 25 different players winning. So, but so. do you have any feel for what 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 what's happened? Naomi Osaka wins Australia, fires her coach publicly. Um, her results since then have been substandard. Um, can you tell us anything about that? Yeah, I think she's been very hurt with uh, the reaction of the people when she decided to fire her coach. I think this hurt her more than anything. Uh, and you could see it because it was obvious because she ended up crying at a press conference. Because, I, again, I'm not in the team, but from the side you could see that uh, uh, she would never expect that people would react so hard on her, saying things without knowing, like, yeah, it was because of 
because she didn't want to pay him or stuff like that. There are assumptions well, that are absolutely not true because I know what it's about. I'm not going to say it because it's private. This is not the point at all. And you know what it's about. Yeah, of Inside, course. Inside, it's a public. Be, be, because it, we're, it's a small world in tennis, so we all know, you know, in this small world, what it's about. In, in every situation. And you, you, you want to tell us? No, it's not, of course not. It's not my role to say that. And, but it doesn't matter. The, the thing, I think I, she was very hurt because the, how bad the people were to her. Yeah. Like accusing her of things without knowing. And I think it hurt her. And I think it impacted her results a lot. Yeah, I mean, I because saw... I, th I think she's very sensitive. Well, you know, we saw her... Um, with Jermaine Jenkins, mm -hmm. her new coach in Miami. We were there early and she had a terrible practice. I mean, it looked like, she did not look like the best player in the world. Um, and obviously players have bad practices, but it seems like she's really not in a, like, a stable tennis environment. Would you agree or? I mean, I didn't see her practice, so I can't talk about that. I think, uh, I know German, who is a, a great person. Uh, he had a, he had a, I mean, he played good tennis, then he, then he worked with Venus. Uh, he's very serious, he's very focused. Uh, so I have a great opinion of him. Uh, I think things take time. Uh, they're just starting. He started in a difficult environment again, uh, because she was suffering a lot from, again, from what was happening around her. So I think it was a bad start for that reason. And she started to lose matches and then confidence goes away. So I think we have to give them a bit of time before having a judgment on if it's working or not working with, with Germany. Bianca Andreescu uh, played 45 matches this year. Um, incredible results. Coach divulged that she tore something in her shoulder. What can you tell us about this player? I've seen the, I've seen her play uh, in Indian Wells. She was very impressive. She played great tennis, inspired tennis, uh, aggressive tennis. I loved that final because she was down a break in the third and called her coach, and I think he did an incredible job. The speech he gave to her was fantastic, um, inspiring, smart, and it worked. It seemed to me like he listened. He listened and in a very smart way because she started to complain about her game and this and that. And he said, you're right. He didn't mean it, but he said, you're right. But, and he took it, like, I take the negative, threw it away. You're right. He didn't say no. Where most of the coaches would have said, no, 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 I disagree. And then they start to argue. He said, yes, you're right. Take that away. And now, this is what you're going to do. Push through. And then this and this. And Go that, win the and tournament. And she took everything. Yeah. Came back to the court. Yeah. Different player. Yeah. Different player. So that's why also I love on-court coaching. I think for the show, it's fantastic. I think it shows also the work of the coaches. It's for the people watching, I think it's interesting to understand also how a player can completely switch from being a loser to being a winner. Uh, they, there is a tactical uh, talk, there is a technical talk. It, it brings so much more to the game. I think it's great. It's definitely... Uh... When, it, when it's interesting, it's very interesting. And when it's not, it's great too. Because <laughs> yeah. I think this guy is not good. <laughs> or, or sometimes they're fighting and it's fun. So there is so, always something good happening. Um, what do you think about her? The fact that she tore her shoulder, I think is, is tra I mean, it's tragic. Uh, no, it's not. Is it, it's life. It's but okay. is there something, but is, I mean, there's something about playing too much. I think maybe 
40 matches is too many matches. What do you, I mean, what do you, what do you think? You can't predict injuries. No, I mean, what you can do is do a good prevention and you know your player and you know what she can handle or what she can't handle. There, I know there are other players that play a lot, so I'm not going to blame her coach to make her play a lot. I mean, Tsitsipas plays a lot also uh, and he's not been injured. And he played a lot. The last two years, he played a lot. And these young, and these, they're, young, they're young pro athletes, man. They should be playing tennis, right? Yes, and again, with a good prevention, you can't avoid everything, but you can keep most of the things under control. Now, sometimes there is an accident, and there is an accident, that's, that's life. That's life. I mean, your job is to play. You have to do a smart schedule, but a smart schedule for some players is to play a lot. Man, the coach is breaking it down. Um, what is your opinion, since we've now we've talked about it, it seems to me that, you know, this coaching carousel, uh, it's been Kerber dumped her coach. Darren stopped traveling with Holop. Uh, Naomi Osaka publicly on Twitter shut her coach down after she won. Don't say that like that. They all of them publicly Sent, tw tweeted it, all of them. So, I mean, the way you say it, sorry. Yeah. No, 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 no. The me. way you say it, it's already biased. Like, she did something incredible. No. No, no, I don't feel she made. She made, like all the other players, a public statement explaining that she stopped with her coach. Like everybody. Yeah. Nothing else, nothing yeah. more, nothing less. Anyway, so, so it's okay. Not anyway. No, no. But you can continue. No, but, no, no, but also, <laughs> so then um, uh, Venus stopped with her coach yes. after a long time. Sure. Uh, Madison Keys, no one's even talked about it, but Lindsay's not working with Madison Keys. I mean, there's a lot of changes. Changes. Um, do you have any interesting opinions about that in general? I mean, interesting, I don't know. You will judge that, but uh, it's a fact that on the women's tour, there are many more changes than on the men's tour, Man much more often. Um, and uh, I mean, the reason is difficult because I think if you look at every case, there is a different reason. But uh, I think to achieve something big, you need stability. Because every time you change your coach, you change direction because all the coaches have their view on you, on how to develop, on how, what to work on. So the, the, the fastest way to go from one point to the, to the other point is to go straight. When you go right, then left, then right, then left, then right, then left, because you change your coach all the time, you probably won't go as far, for sure not, and you're losing a lot of time. So I think that's wrong, but it happens. How, how often is it uh, the, the cold hard cash? How often is it the money? I don't know. I mean, I, I can't speak for the players. Uh, I don't think it's that much the money. I don't think. It's, it, it's happening sometimes, but you know, and we blame the players, but sometimes also, because that's true, a, player, a coach makes a great job for one year and suddenly comes, comes back and asks for double or triple money. And the players feel this is not fair, you know? So it can happen too. So it's, you know, I don't like things that are black or white. I don't like because I, it's never black or white. Well, it's nuanced, isn't it? There's exactly there, there's different situations and scenarios. Yeah, you know the other player, the last player that I think that's interesting, who 
maybe I think might end up having a, a nice few weeks over the next few weeks, provided she's healthy, is Azarenka. Yeah. She seems to have like peace of mind that uh, is interesting. Yeah, I agree with that. I, when she played uh, Serena in Miami, and sorry, in Indian Wells, uh, I thought, wow, she's back to a great level. My man, I thought that was the best straight set match I've seen that, that tournament in women's tennis. They were playing great tennis. I think so too. And I was happy because in the morning after that match, I, I was uh, at breakfast at the hotel and a lot of players, guys, came to me and said, wow, I watched the match, the whole match, I was unbelievable. And when guys say that about women's tennis, professional guys, means a lot about the level of the That the match. match was electric. That was as good of a match as there was. We were at that match. Azarenka has always been a tough player oh, for yeah. Serena. Um, but right now she seems to be in like a really good headspace. Do you think so? I think so too. I think she struggled uh, on the personal level for the last years because of her son. Uh, you know, I mean, we all know that uh, she's been through difficult uh, moments. Well, and then she her. had aggravation, heavy aggravation with the, the father. Uh, the father, on some level, held her tennis hostage. Exactly. Yeah. So she couldn't travel. So she's been struggling a lot, and I feel like things are solved now. I think she's, she looks very happy in her life. And, uh, and she's starting to, to play better and better. And again, that match in Indianos and Serena was kind of uh, a proof that she's coming back to a very high level. And since that match, her, her, her results are getting better and better. Yeah, and she's playing good, good tennis. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the men. Yeah. Uh, let's first of all talk about your top player uh, on the men's side, uh, your fellow uh, Greek. Uh, Stefanos Tsitsipas, uh, can he win on clay? Yeah, of course he can. Um, he can win on all surfaces. He is. Last year, he played the final of Barcelona, lost to Nadal on clay. He reached last 16 in Wimbledon on grass. He played the final of Toronto on hard, lost to Nadal again, and then he won in Stockholm, 250 ATP indoors. So this shows his ability to adapt to all kind of surfaces. So I think he has a great all-round game uh, that allows him to play. I think his, for example, his backhand topspin is one of the ones uh, we measured the rotations per minute of his backhand uh, last year in Monte Carlo, and he was the, one of the he was top three in the world in terms of number of rotations per minute. He hits, so, a, he hits a heavy, heavy ball. Yes, exactly. So that's an asset on clay. Uh, he's able to play long rallies, short rallies, come to the net. You know, he can do a lot of things. So I think his game on, uh, on clay can be good. Yeah, I think so. Can he win seven matches on clay? Or is it... Does I mean, he, does the, the first question is, can someone win in Rangeros, anybody? while Nadal is playing the level he's having for the last uh, 12 or 13 years. So the answer has been no for the last years. Uh, one day, what I'm saying is not going to be true anymore. Will it be this year or next year or next or the year after? I don't know. He didn't play well for the first tournament, uh, which is Monte Carlo. And it's something that is very unusual for him because he, he's, he's won that tournament 11 times. So usually he starts strong 
And this year he did not. He did not. He didn't play well. Uh, he, uh, he didn't play well before Fognini already in the match before. He won it. But then he lost against uh, Fabio. Uh, of course, thanks to Fabio's performance, but it was not the Rafa that we used to see. No, you know what? The way I described it was that Fabio played incredible, but Rafa made mistakes that you, he, 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 he missed in the net. He missed wide. He missed long. He double faulted. The weather was difficult. pretty screwy, difficult weather, which you would expect would bother Fabio. And instead, it really, um, it was really the worst we've ever seen Rafa play. For a long time, not this match in particular, because again, uh, the match before, the day before, he didn't play better, but it was enough. And that's what I said, actually, after he lost to Fabio, I said, even today, he would have beaten 90% of the guys on play, even playing like that. You thought so? so huh? Oh, yeah, for sure. It was, not, it was far from his best level, for sure, yeah. but enough to beat. You know, the day before, he beat a great player. He beat a guy who just won a Grand Prix on, on, on clay. So, I mean, a, a, a tough Argentinian player who's like really one of the best on clay at the moment, and he beat him. He beat him in two sets. He didn't, I commented the whole match. He didn't play better than against Fabio, not at all. Same. But, but Fabio believed he could beat him, uh, had the shots to, to beat him, and he played the match he needed to play. So it happened. But still, we have to take into consideration that the first tournament of Rafa on clay is far from his usual standards. That's true, for sure. Um, so I said after the tournament, he'd better win in Barcelona. If he doesn't win this tournament, he's gonna to start to doubt big time. And if he doubts big time, it's gonna be a different story this year. He's vulnerable. Um, do you have any interesting opinions about uh, Roger playing, playing the clay this year, or do you think that it's insignificant? So we'll see if it's interesting, but what I think is um, he probably will stop Next year, after the Olympic Games and before retiring, he definitely wants to say goodbye to the, the, clay, the European clay court tournaments and especially Rangaros for sure, which is a grand slam uh, that he won. But I think that's the reason why he's going to play this year. And I think that uh, Rafa is not playing well for the moment. Novak is not playing well at the moment. So, you know, anything can happen. Who else do you like that we haven't really thought about, you know, a year ago, Cecanato, uh had an incredible run. Um, you know, you had the, we, you, you, we learned that you had the uh, French Davis Cup team here, uh, you know, in the past month. Um, are, is there any interesting French player that can make a run? Um, is Pierre Hugues-Herbert someone that could? No, there is one guy that can do, make a big run, a French guy. And his game is Gael Monfils. Gael Monfils. Gael Monfils is playing the best season of his career so far. So I think he, I mean, his level of confidence at the moment is really high. He won so many matches. He definitely has the assets to win a Grand Slam in terms of physical abilities and technical and te tennis. Tennis-wise, uh, I think he's working harder than ever. 
at the moment. Thanks also to his girlfriend, because they're, as we all know, they're, they're together. They're, uh, they're very, they're a lot, they're very in love. And uh, she's an incredible hard worker and is with her all the time and is working. For our, for our listeners, uh, that's Elena Svitolina, uh, is the uh, paramour of uh, Guy Monfi. They are a uh, very seemingly cool and in love couple. And uh, Guy Monfi is clearly playing better tennis uh, with. Uh, Elena Svitolina in her in his box. Yeah, definitely. I don't know if it's about the. I, I think it's more about the fact that they spend so much time together, and she's working all the time. So he's doing the same, and he's working much more than he ever worked in his life. And because of that, he's playing better. As he's playing better, he's winning much more. I think he's also pumped by the fact that he's in love. It's like a, a, a great combination for him at the moment. And I think, I think if he finds a way to, to go to Rangaros without too much, feeling too much pressure, uh, I think he can surprise everyone because this guy knows how to play on clay. I want to just slide back really quickly. Um, what's Serena telling you? Um, where is she at? How significant was this knee injury? Um, are you guys in motion? She came back to, to practice, yeah, to tennis. Uh, before that, it was difficult because her knee injury... Uh, I mean, it took her time to, to be able to, to walk and then to run. So now she's able to play. She, she just started like one week ago. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Now we go day after day and see how the knee is uh, reacting and how, how much she can push. But she wants it. So when she wants something, she's tough to stop. <laughs> nice. This is our third set. This is the part of our show where we typically talk about your career. I thought that maybe we will start it where we are at this facility. Um, can you ex explain to our listeners how this is the culmination of, of your life, your life in tennis? I yeah, I, I started tennis because my parents were going to the club on the weekend and uh, I was a kid and uh, my friends were playing tennis. I took a racket, I started to play and I fell in love with tennis. And I tried to replicate that in a way, in a bigger scale here, because it's much bigger. But I want here to be a place where people come on the weekend with the family and enjoy. I want to be a place where people who are Americans or Australians or Chinese and who are 45 years old but love tennis want to improve and they're able to come here and have one unbelievable week where they're treated like professionals. I want the best player in the world from Taiwan who's 12 years old to think that's the place I have to go because that's where I'm going to become a champion. And I want Serena or Novak or those top guys to think that's the best base in the world because we have everything here to get ready for the next tournaments in an environment that is fantastic in the French Riviera, close to an international airport with great weather. When you were in your mid-20s, you started the Bob Brett Academy. Um, Bob Brett, former coach of Boris Becker, of Nicholas Kiefer, and of Goran, right? Um, how did that experience impact what we see here now? Um, it impacted what we see here on two levels. I think the first level was that he 
basically taught me my job as a coach. I, did, I was young, I didn't know anything, and he's been, uh, we had a great connection, and he's, he's, he's been very happy to share with me and, and to help me. And it was an opportunity for me to have a name in order to convince young players that had potential to come work with me, and that without this name or without a big name like him, uh, I would not have been able to build what I've built. Then on a second level, and because he left me after six years, I realized that I invested in on his name. It made sense, but the fact that he left, I, I was kind of losing all uh, the image of the academy from one day to another, everything I had built for six years. And I thought that was a terrible investment. You invest on somebody's name, and this somebody can disappear tomorrow. So that's why I put my name, because I knew I would not disappear. So, and but hey, I was. By not, the way, your name is everywhere. It's on the napkins. It's on the walls. It's. It's too it's much. The, it's the branding, right? It's too much. Or no, no, I don't know. No, I mean, it's it's the, the branding is. Maybe you're giving me good advice. No, but is the branding <laughs> is important. You know what? I'll tell you something. One day, a long time ago, I made a conference in a company for one hour. I talked for one hour. After I talked, a guy came to me that was listening from a big company. And he told me, you have, do you have a problem with your brand? I said, no, why? He said, because you spoke, for, you spoke for one hour, and at one time you named your brand. And he said, if you have a problem with your name, with your name being the brand, or the brand being your name, then change the brand, or find a way not to have a problem with that. And I think it was a great advice. My man, you have, and everybody knows your brand. Everybody in tennis knows. So I, I said, yeah, I had a problem naming the brand because I feel I named myself and I don't like it. Uh, but I thought, I have to find a way. So now I'm okay to, to name my brand Morato Glue and I'm okay to, to put it on the wall if it's necessary because it's branding. So that's why. Uh, and, it's cool, just to, and it's cool, it looks cool. I mean, the, the brand, it looks cool. The <laughs> it's, compli it's complicated, the name, but once you know it, you don't forget it, so that, that's a good thing. Yeah, no, it looks good. <laughs> it I mean, the brand looks takes, nice. It takes a long time to learn it, but then you don't forget it. Just to finish on that, it was a turning point, the fact that Bob Brett left me because I put my name, and because I was not a tennis coach, I decided to become a tennis coach because I thought the name of the academy had to be a, the name of a coach. And probably if Bob Brett had never left me, I would, maybe I would have never become a tennis coach. I mean, that's a pivotal moment right there. Um, how, how pivotal is, is Serena Williams to your story? She's definitely uh, incredibly important in the whole story. Uh, the fact that the, the best player in the world, and even though she was not when she came to me anymore, she was number five or six or seven in the world, but she, was, she had 13 Grand Slams, she was already incredible and one of, she was already one of the best champions of all times. Uh, she comes to me and she asks me to work with her. And, and the way I understand it is, is that you were coaching Dimitrov, you kind of all see each other and, and she had a bad result here or in Roland Garros, right? Yeah. And then she came to, the, she came to your academy, which at that time was still in Paris. Yeah, so exactly, that's exactly the way it happened. After her loss in Rangaros, she stayed a few days in Paris, called me, said, can I come practice at your academy? 2012. 2012, exactly. So two years without winning a Grand Slam. Uh, of course, she had a blood clot, so she had a lot of uh, health issues. Uh, I think she, it was difficult for her to come back. She was winning, but not Grand Slams. 
she was number, I think, seven in the world, lost in her first round of Roland Garros. Stayed in Paris a few days and called me and said, I need a place to practice, get ready for Wimbledon. Can I come to your academy? And I said, yeah, of course, come. So she came to the academy. Uh, she asked me to have two hitting partners. She hit with them uh, for, for 45 minutes in a row, sat down to drink, turned to me and said, talk to me. So I talked to her about her game, about her match that I saw on TV. Uh, and I said, this is what I see, and I think these things should be worked on. So then she said, can we work on that? And I said, yeah, if you want. So we started. It was in June 2012, and now uh, we're still working together, and uh, she has 10 more Grand Slams. Um, are you friends? Are you, uh, is, it a, is it a purely professional relationship? How has the relationship changed? Um, you know, a lot, a, lot, a lot of life has happened. I think, I think you cannot be, it cannot be only professional with a player when you coach him or her. You know, you spend so much time together. There is so much trust also that, you know, they also talk to you about their personal things because it, it, everything has a link, is linked. And uh, the personal sometimes affects or can affect the professional. I think generally speaking, we, we are the, probably the closest people to the players most of the time. So now she has a family, she has a husband, so it's different. I mean, I'm not the closest, definitely not. But still, we have a, we have a, a, a strong relationship, very strong. I mean, friend maybe, even though friend is not the right word because we're not at the same level. Uh, even though with Serena, uh, it's, it's also different because of her age, because of her career, uh, because I, I started to work with her late. She was already 30 years old. So I think there is a, an incredible mutual respect, uh, mutual, mutual also belief in the other one. I believe in her. I always believe in her more than I think anybody. Uh, maybe not more than her father, but out of him more than most of the people. Uh, and she believes in me a lot too, so that's why she trusts me. And, uh, and I think I know her uh, incredibly well. And she knows me really well too. Have, have you and, and the rest of her team um, and, and, and maybe, maybe her created a pressure cooker to get this last slam that is making the losses more dramatic, more heavy, more... No, definitely not. Uh, my job is to help the player achieve what he or she wants to achieve. So she wants to win Grand Slams. So let's go win it. So, I mean, we do everything in order to help her win Grand Slams. That's what we're here for. Me, but also the fitness coach, the physio, uh, the agent, not too much into the sports side, but, uh, you know, we're all working for her to help her get what she wants. That's, that's our job. So we don't put pressure, believe me, she puts much enough pressure on herself. She doesn't need more. Yeah. And also everyone puts so much pressure on her. She's not allowed to lose. Whenever she loses, there is a problem. So the pressure is at the highest point possible. So it's tough to handle, but she's strong. She's showed that many times in her career. The losses are always uh, tough. But again, to come back from having a baby and so mm, heavy medical issues after the baby, to being able to play one year after two Grand Slam finals is big, I think.
to say the least, incredible uh, coming off of a difficult childbirth. Yeah. Um, guy said to me once that there comes a time in a coach's career where he has to put his job, his or her job on the line with his player. Has that ever happened with you and her? Where you had to say, listen, you... I, I, don't, I don't think like that. I don't think like that. And I don't, I'm, not, I'm not scared. I'm never scared. And I think that's also very important. When you're scared to lose your job, you can't do the job well. So no problem. I always say what I have to say. I always do what I have to do. Uh, I refuse to have a contract. I want pressure. I want everyone to have pressure. And I, I want everyone to be free to say, I stop now which is great because everybody has to do the job then. I've always done that. I will always do that. And, you know, if the player doesn't want to work with you anymore, it's finished. And if I don't want to work with my player anymore, it's finished too, and it's fine. You have to be good all the time. You have to, I mean, the player has to feel that's the right person, and the player and the, the coach has to think this player is doing the job and we're going to make it. Once you have those two things, it works. This is our fourth set. We call this a 10-ball scramble. I just say something, and you say what comes into your mind. Okay, it's okay? tough, okay. On-court coaching. Great for the game. Off-court coaching, uh, moving around in the box, talking from the, from the stands. Weak. A weak way to do it. Uh, uh, not, when you do something, do it 100%. A half way to do it. Your favorite tournament. Garros. Your favorite court? Can be any court. My favorite court, the center court of the U.S. Open for sure, Arthur Ashe Stadium. You love that the most? Unbelievable. The biggest court on, in the world. Your favorite player growing up? My favorite player gr growing up, Bjorn Borg. Nick Boateri. A legend. Bob Brett. Of coaching. Uh, Bob Brett. Uh, the guy that taught me my job. Brad Gilbert. Um, a fellow friend that I'm working with on ESPN. Uh, Brad Gilbert, the coach. Uh, fantastic career as a coach, for sure. Richard Williams. A genius. Moving into our fifth and final set, we call this the king of the court. If you were the king of tennis, you could make any kind of change you wanted what would that change be? And I, and I want to preface this by saying you recently gave an interview to the English uh, newspaper with some interesting opinions about things. Um, That's where I was going. I would do everything to make tennis even much more popular in a way that we are able to uh, seduce the young generations. And for that, we have to create an environment where people can express their personalities on the tennis court. Because sports is about emotions. Sports is about loving players or hating players. Uh, and if we, that's the way to, that you feel emotions uh, watching sports because you root for someone or you root against someone. And in order to feel something, you need to know who's who. And in order to know who's who, you have to let people express themselves on a tennis court. If you don't, you're losing those people, you're losing the, the young generations. And I think it's the young generations will make this our sport tomorrow. So you, we can't afford to do that. The young generation is certainly here thriving at the Mortaglu Academy. Um, 
appreciate your time. And uh, you're going to have a busy uh, six to 10 to 20 to 30 weeks. Always, but that's what I like. I love tennis and I'm blessed because I work in my passion. So. My man, uh, merci beaucoup. Uh, you are released. Merci beaucoup, monsieur. Malibu Racket is the official tennis club of Under Review. If anyone wants to practice there or become a member, let us know and we will sort you out. Huge thank you to Patrick Mortaglu and Bon Chance at Roland Garros. Special thank you to Maxime Restifo, Matisse Hubelin, and the entire team at the Mortaglu Tennis Academy. To learn more about the academy, please visit them at mortaglu.com. If you want to learn more about Patrick, you can check out his book, The Coach. Thank you to our friends at Tennis Channel. Big thank you to our Patreon supporters, Dave Harmon and Neil Fernandez. We're glad you had a chance to listen to the Justin Gimmelstop interview. And thank you for the kind words. If you want to help support Under Review and get some of those great perks along the way, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash underreviewtennis. Thank you all for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe, rate, and review us. And tell your friends. We can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Podbeam, and everywhere else you get your podcasts. We also love hearing from you, so if you have a topic you want explored or a person you want to hear from, please let us know. Our email is info at underreviewtennis.com. At URWithCS is our Twitter handle. Underreviewtennis is our Instagram and Facebook. Our producer is Scott Tuft, and our music is by Brian Senti. Jason Binnick did our mix. We'll be back next time with more of the most interesting voices in the sport. Until then, I'm Craig Shapiro, and you are released.